state. Your team. Your show. This is Sports Nightly. White Missouri's the back in the backfield with Adrian. Hickman in motion on the near side. Snap back. Adrian gives it off to Missouri. He's got a first down. 10 5. Touchdown. Nebraska. Wyatt Missouri's first touchdown of the year. Sports Nightly during the holidays is presented by the Woodhouse Auto Family. With over 6,000 new and pre owned vehicles in stock, visit woodhouse.com to browse the entire inventory. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Thank you. Welcome. Thursday night edition of Sports Island here on the Husker Sports Network. Hope you had a good day today. You're one day closer to another weekend. Your last weekend to get some shopping done before Christmas next Wednesday. Weather's supposed to be nice. Won't have to be too bundled up to go out and hit some of the stores over the weekend. Here's what we have coming up on the program tonight. We're going to kind of continue our recruiting theme from last night. In fact, we're going to hear from a couple of the players who signed their national letters of intent yesterday. Coming up here in a few minutes, Henry Gray, the safety from Hollywood, Florida, down in the Miami area, in fact, with the Miami Central High School. He's going to join us. And we're going to talk to Turner Corcoran, who is the highest-rated young man out of this class, the offensive lineman, from Lawrence, Kansas, right there, the home of the Jayhawks, who has been a longtime commit to the Oscars. He's going to join us later on in the hour as well. Hour number two, the head football coach in studio for the entire hour. So it's our Nebraska football hour for the week. He'll be taking your calls, comments, questions about Husker football. We'll get into a lot of things. We're going to talk about this, obviously, this recruiting class. We're going to look back at the season and get some thoughts about where this thing's headed for Nebraska football. So get your comments and questions ready for the head coach coming up in hour number two. Third hour of the show, it is Thursday. That means it's time for Teddy Greenstein to join us. Lots to talk about, including an exit interview that he did this week with the commissioner, Ben McLaughlin, where the commissioner was quoted as saying he believes that in 25 to 50 years, that the Rutgers and Maryland decisions to put him in the league will, will look good. He's going to die on that hill, isn't he? I mean, good grief. Yeah, 25 I mean. 25 years. And then how about how about the time frame? 25 to 50. <laughs> you know, sometime before we all kick the bucket, it's going to be a good. You're going to go, wow, that was a good it, move. Yeah. You might be in, in the hospital taking your last breath, but it's going to be a good move for us putting <laughs> Rutgers and Maryland into the into the league wow so uh we'll, we'll talk about a lot of things with teddy but but that might be front and center since he did he did have a sit down little q a with the commissioner uh that appeared in the chicago tribune earlier in the week we'll also continue our top 10 countdown of biggest games broadcast here on the husker sports network during 2019 we're up to moment number seven We've had a volleyball match, the winning match over the Missouri Tigers. We had the Husker basketball team winning at Indiana last January at Assembly Hall. We had the women's basketball team with an upset of 23rd-ranked Minnesota. What will tonight be? Hmm. We'll find out coming up in hour number three. And as always, phone lines open and available for you at 866-HUSKER-1-866-487-5371. Press conference yesterday with Scott Frost to talk about the 2020 recruiting class. And at the time of the press conference, which was at 3 o'clock, Nebraska had a class of 21. While we were on the air last night, the class grew to 22. And now as we go on the air tonight, the class is up to 23. As Xavier Betts, the highly talented wide receiver from Bellevue West up in the up, uh, suburb of Omaha, 
has signed his letter of intent with Nebraska. So Xavier Betts, 6'2", 200-pounder, terrific player. Um, we, 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 I think grades are a bit of an issue, but apparently they feel like it's good enough now that he was allowed to sign his letter. He did that today. He's going to have a ceremony at the high school tomorrow, but Nebraska's Twitter, official Twitter accounts already put it out that he's now a Cornhusker. So Xavier Betts, who Ben had a tremendous career on a football team that was incredible, and they have been for the last couple of years. They finally broke the door down and won a state title a couple of weeks ago at Memorial Stadium, and Betts was a big part of that. Yeah, he he sure was, uh, and they do a great job in that program. Coach Hoffman does it in Bellevue West. You know, they've they've had a, a couple of different monsters to come out of that program in the last five years. Uh, you know, some some state record holders, and they've done it through the air. They've done it on the ground, and you know, when you've got some weapons that uh, that Bellevue West has had, sent a kid to to Northern Illinois. Obviously, Xavier Betts. Uh, it's a good place to start, and um again another big guy six foot two 200 pounds local product you know when you think of big wide receivers in state that have a high ceiling Niles Paul certainly comes to mind mm-hmm. and, you know if you could have you know half the career that Niles had I think we would all be very thrilled but um yeah this is one that seemed a little touch and go for a while for for some issues but you know I think signing in this early period is a really good sign that those issues are are cleaned up I don't know that that would have happened if if he wasn't ready, but you know to get that area kind of fixed and ready, and, and hopefully he can make it here to campus here real soon. When you look at classes, usually a position or two stand out. Last year for me, it was the offensive line group that we signed and the defensive backs. This class, I don't think like there's any question. It's the wide receivers. Betts makes the fifth wide receiver to be signed in this 2020 class. You've got Alante Brown out of Chicago. You have Omar Manning, the junior college player from Kilgore, Texas. You have Marcus Fleming, the speedster from, from Miami. Will Nixon from Waco, Texas. Uh, the, to me, that's when you look back two, three years, you're going to go, Phew, that was the highlight of that class where those five wide receivers who all can really run, there are different s- sizes of them. And you talked about the size of Betts at 6'2", Manning is 6'4", but then you go to the the, sl- the smaller kind of slot receivers in in Nixon, who's five foot eleven, Fleming's five foot ten, Brown is five foot eleven. So you've got a lot of different size receivers in this class. But I don't think there's any doubt when I look at this group, what stands out to me are the wide receivers. No question, and I would even throw the two running backs in there as well, and just and just say skill position in general, because I think um, you know two three years from now when we look back to this last season, it's going to be the season that could have been if Nebraska had the parts offensively. I mean, we all know the struggles that Nebraska had at receiver. Uh, and of course, you know, I don't, I think, I don't think something that gets talked about enough is the injury to kind of, I late in the year. I mean, I, I really think that, 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 that hurt us a lot, not having him out there. Um, but I also think that at times it was a, it was a curious case at running back. You know, we were looking out there and we didn't know who was going to carry the ball. You know, one more injury, we weren't sure. we we, we might have gone five wide the the rest of the the game, but I think the overall year in general to me, you know, you think about what Wandale had to do in his in his freshman year, the the amount of of workload he had not only at running back but at receiver as well. I think it goes to show you how shorthanded Nebraska was once the Maurice Washington situation was finally put to a to an end, um, and of course just the rest of the injuries. I think it just piled on and. 
Nebraska was really shorthanded. And I think much like Divina Zigbo at the end of two years ago, you're, you're beginning to get really thankful for what Diedrich Mills was able to give you at, at the end of the season because there was a two- or three-week span where we weren't sure Nebraska was going to get any production at running back. There wasn't anything behind him. I mean, you had Ramir Johnson for a couple of games, but they did they wisely, I think, saved his red shirt. Uh, so he played his four, and that was it. And then you, you know, with, the, with Maurice Washington off the team midway part of the season, you didn't have him. Wandale goes down with the injuries in Waco. But we're here and glad to be here and glad to start talking to a couple of the newer Huskers who signed their name yesterday, and you reached out uh, to Henry Gray. Yeah, Henry Gray, a six-foot, 175-pound safety, committed to Nebraska and did a great job recruiting for the Huskers on social media and reaching out uh, through current prospective athletes to, to help come to Lincoln and was able to catch up with him and just first started out by congratulating him by signing on the dotted line, finally making this thing official and becoming a Cornhusker. Yeah, it was a long time coming. Being recruited since my 10th grade year, it's been a lot of ups and downs, but I feel like Nebraska is the best place for me. Let's let's start a little bit about yourself, uh, about your recruitment in particular, and, and you mentioned starting about 10th grade. What was it that, you know, the older you, that, that you got and the closer you got to your senior year, uh, what you was important to you and what you were looking for in a school? I think the biggest thing I had to realize was, like, it wasn't about the the, the big name of the school. Because, you know, I, I had offers like Clemson, Ohio State, and stuff like that. But as I got older, I started recognizing that it's more about how comfortable I am schooling and how the coaches could use me. So I was real confident that Coach Frost and Coach Fisher would do really good with me. And I like what they were talking about in my business. So, yeah, yeah let's, let's talk about Coach Fisher. He did a lot of work in your state, in Florida. There's a lot of you Miami guys and Florida guys coming up here. What is it about his personality that you were attracted to and, and, you, and you could get along with and form a relationship with? Um, To me, he was the realest coach that I, I came across. Um, Going on all my other visits, I didn't get the vibe that I got from him. And I feel like that he knows the stuff he had the first round of. Um, to come from UCF, and he's been to the league himself, so he knows the situations that we're going to be in. He's not just going off what he studied and stuff like that. So I feel like he knows what he's talking about. You, you, you committed at a great time from Nebraska's standpoint. Uh, there was a lot happening and, and a lot of names to, to yet to be signed, but uh, I'm sure you're aware by now, but you were pretty big news when you decided to, to come to Nebraska and decided to commit here when you did. Uh, when, when did you realize that Nebraska was the place for you and, and you thought maybe you didn't need to wait till signing day to make your decision? Um, I, I made my decision Saturday on my official, on my official visit. When you came here, what, what impressed you? What, what did you expect to see when you came to Lincoln, Nebraska? Um... Before before I went on my official visit, Nebraska wasn't really high on my list. I, I just went because I knew I wasn't going on all of my five official visits. So I just wanted to see other things, and I ended up going there. And I ended up liking the atmosphere. I ended up liking the players. And, and just I fell in love with the team. And I knew that I just got that feeling that it's a place I'm, I need to be. 
and you committed. And I got to say, man, you, I don't, we, we can't pay, obviously, with NCAA rules. But, uh, you know, when you're done here, maybe you could get a job as a recruiter because you were very active on Twitter helping, helping your boys get here. What was that, that like for you, trying to, to join in and, and get some of the, the high school kids to, to come follow you to Lincoln? Um, I just wanted to do my part. I know, I know that goes a long way in helping turn the program around. So I just feel like it was just part of my job just to help. And obviously you had some current members of the team. You get to form some relationships with them. Who, who, who on, on the team right now did you really connect with and bond with maybe on your visit through messaging or whatever that, that you could connect with and you thought you could come learn from here in just a couple of weeks? Um, probably the most. It's probably DiCaprio Budo and Chan Taylor. I, I was real close to those guys on my visit. We had a good time. Yeah, and people around here know those two personalities very well. Of course, DCAP from not far where you're at in, in oh, Florida. And, and Lamar Jackson, too. Lamar yeah. Jackson, too. Yeah, Lamar, of course, will turn his attention to the NFL here very quickly. Uh, projected, uh, you know, late late second round, third round pick right now for the Huskers. Okay, Henry, uh, now that uh, you've made that decision, you've signed your letter, you're an early enrollee. What do you expect when we come to Lincoln here in a few weeks? Um, I expect just to come in and work hard, learn the plays, and get used to everything that college has to offer for me. And I, I just want to keep my head down and do the best that I can to help the team. One thing that uh, I've learned about you, just following you on social media, is how important your family is and how important it is for you um, to, to, to be a good uh, student, uh, be, a, be a good athlete, be a good overall man for your family. Uh, I saw you, you posted a, a picture of your report card. How, what, what's the academic side mean to you and, more importantly, to your family? Um, academics means a lot to my family. My mom went to college, and, and, she, and she takes school very seriously, so... It's a big thing for me, and that's something she instilled in me when I was real young. So, and what yeah. does mom think about you coming to Lincoln? Oh, she loves it. She loves Coach Frost. I actually met Coach Frost my 10th grade year before I got the offer. Before, um, when he first got the job at Nebraska, that's before I had the offer in Nebraska. I met him at school, and um, and he was just talking to me about how bright of a future I had in high school. And right back then, I didn't know I was going to um commit. So. That's good how it came full circle. Yeah, it definitely comes full circle. Well, you've, as I mentioned, you've got a couple of other Florida guys coming up with you. What type of relationship do you have or have started to form with, you know, guys like, like Jaden and, and Marcus and, and Marvin and some other guys from Florida? I mean, I, I knew those guys for a while. Jaden Jaden was committed to UN with me um, since 10th grade, so we pretty cool each other. And um, Marcus Fleming and um, Ronald Delancey, we we played against them, and that's a big rivalry. So we, we come in with a lot of competitiveness and a lot of drive, and I think that would be real good to help the team. No doubt, man. It's it's really cool to see uh, you know the the Florida guys kind of band together and head up here. We can't wait to meet you. It's going to be a lot of fun to see how you grow and develop over the next few years as, in, in college. Congratulations on the commitment, man. I, I know it's a, it's a stressful time, but you're officially a Husker. We can't wait to meet you. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Henry Gray, one of the newest Huskers, one of the three, 23 new scholarship Huskers. It's a class I'm pretty impressed with. I was nervous about a week ago, but it certainly came in 
hot late and been the highest rated young man in this class going to join us now yeah and absolutely one of the two offensive linemen that have signed for the big red yesterday turner corcoran six foot six 285 pounder turner first of all thanks for joining us man i know it's a very busy time for you and your family but congratulations on finally signing and becoming a corn husker of course thanks for having me on you bet well what's the feeling now that it's finally done man i know you've been this is a long time coming for you thankfully with the new december signing period you don't need to wait till till february but now that it's finally finished what's the feeling uh you know it's probably one of the best feelings a young kid could have you know signing to a university to help them rebuild and you know put this put the place on the map and get things going one of the things that we've come to understand about your commitment to Nebraska is your relationship with Coach Austin. What is it about him that you connected with and, and you felt like this was going to be a good fit for you? Um, you know, what stood out to me first with Coach Austin was how genuine and how good of a person he was. Uh, and then, you know, as the process went on, you know, we, we kind of slowly became friends. And, and then I went out for a practice and I saw how intense he was. But then, you know, I saw how, how he could correct people and, during practice and you know I thought I wanted to be a part of that and you know I finally made my decision in April and you know I haven't looked back since you could have gone probably anywhere in the country to play you chose Nebraska what was it about this school um there are other bigger names out there more prestigious schools but you felt like Lincoln was the spot that that you wanted to come develop and spend some a good part of your life right so like I said earlier about how or about how Austin was genuine uh, I uh, automatically found that out with Coach Frost and Coach Held and the rest of the staff too. Um, everybody was a warm, a warm hug and a warm high five away, just you know loving me and my family from the start. And you know that's just how the relationship got started, and you know it, it turned out well. When did it take off for you, man? I know sometimes it's like an avalanche. You, you, some some kids don't get noticed, don't get noticed, don't get noticed, and all of a sudden offers start pouring in. For you, what was that process like of starting to get an interest, starting to get letters, starting to get coaches contacting you, and, and how you kind of embraced this whole process? Right. So it started off with Kansas State offering me first and then Iowa State, and then I took a trip up to Notre Dame for their spring game my sophomore year, and and then they finally offered, and, you know, that's when everything kind of hit all at once. I think I got, like, um, 17 offers within a span of, like, four months. It was, wow. it was crazy, um, but it was a great time, you know. It was, it, it's hard for a 16- or 17-year-old to really deal with that. And, but, you know, I thought I handled it well, and my family handled it well, and, you know, we're happy with what we chose. Yeah, you just mentioned the, the, the parts of that. It's almost impossible to deal with it by yourself. You had your family with you. What were they kind of telling you about what's important to to kind of see past maybe the uniforms or the fan base or, you know, maybe some of the superficial things, but the things that are going to ultimately matter about how you grow up in the next four years? How did your family play a role in this? Um, you know, they really told me it's not a four or five year decision. It's a 30 to 40 year decision, you know, with how you uh, play your cards and plenty of Husker fans around the country and around the, around the whole world who are willing to help out Husker football players. And, you know, that's, that's something that I'm wanting to, you know, play my cards right with and hopefully be, be a part of someday. Well, you're going to, you're going to come to an offense that hopefully by the time up and down the field and snapping the ball within 10 seconds, what, what's it like to, to be an O lineman in this style of offense? Um, you know, not too many guys like the fast-paced offense because, you know, you might get tired, but, you know, it's part of football. It's a new day and age, and you just got to get used to it. So, you know, I'm looking forward to it, and, and hopefully we can wear, wear some guys down in the fourth quarter uh, with that, with that high-paced offense and, you know, kick some tail. All right, Turner. What's 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 the next you know few months look like for you? What's now that this this process is over, you turn the page to the next chapter. What are you going to be focused on on here now that this steps behind you? 
Um, so I've been working out for the past month. Uh, I'm working out for another month before I ship out. Um, you know, get better down in San Antonio. Uh, go against some of the best guys in the country down there. I uh, can't. I can't wait for that. You know, that's going to be a once in a lifetime opportunity, and I'm going to take advantage of it. Um, and then once once January hits, you know, I'll be I'll be full go down in Lincoln. Can't wait to meet you, man. It's gonna be it's gonna be really exciting to get get you new young bucks in here. This new batch of freshmen. Congratulations on finally making it. We're very excited to have you, Husker Nation. Can't wait to get to know you a little bit. Congratulations on your decision. We really appreciate you joining us tonight, man. Thanks a lot. Of course, thank you. Turner Corker and six foot six, two hundred eighty five pounder, one of the twenty three new scholarship players for the Big Red. And joining us now is the head football coach of the Cornhuskers, Scott Frost. We were just talking about the job Travis Fisher did, coach, down in the state of Florida with seven young men signing yesterday. Can can you t- tell us a little bit more about the job that that he and your entire staff did over the last couple of weeks? You bet. You fellas doing all right? Ready for Christmas? I got a little shopping still to do, but I got some time, right? Yeah, I, I got a lot to do. I haven't started, but... Um, no, we got uh, a lot of good recruiters on our staff. Um, you know, year in and year out, everybody is going to have really good years and not as good of years, uh, depending on who they're recruiting. Um, you know, but I got several that just knock it out of the park every every year. And Ryan Held's a guy that, that really loves recruiting and does a great job. And Sean Beckton's done an unbelievable job for us. And Eric Shenander works his butt off and recruits a lot of the guys we get on defense. And uh, Fish is always one of those guys and had an unbelievable year this year. Uh, he's just a guy that connects really well with, with young men. They want to play for him. Um, and obviously, you know, having our ties down in Florida and, and Fish being from Tallahassee and having spent a lot of time in South Florida uh, recruiting and otherwise really paid off for us this year. And a, a lot of credit goes to, to several guys on our staff, especially that group. With the addition of Xavier Betts, who signed his letter today with you, it gives you five wide receivers in this class. Do you like the direction that room is headed now? Yeah, I mentioned in my press conference, you know, there was a couple positions where we knew we had to rebuild when we got to Nebraska, and a lot of it had to do with just the numbers at the positions. Um, we usually carry 10 or 11 scholarship wideouts. That's what almost every team in the country is going to carry, particularly in this day and age when you're playing with three wideouts most of the time. Uh, I think we we came in with four guys on scholarship, and uh, one of them was Stanley, who only had for we only had for a year. So, uh, you know, we had to rebuild those things, and uh, we've been working on it. I think we've gotten some good players in the past that are contributing or real real close to getting there, and. Uh, but that position was a real priority for us this year, and I, I feel great about who we got, and um, especially getting Xavier in the boat here at the end. Uh, there's some real talent in that group, and, and we're optimistic about them. I want to ask you about a couple guys. We we had two of your, your signees on earlier in the program, and we, we started with Henry Gray, the safety from Hollywood, Florida. Really enjoyed our chat with him. Tell us about that young guy who then turned looked like he turned into a pretty good recruiter for you. I tell you what, we we've home visited uh, Henry late in the process last week, and uh, he knew every kid we were that was committed to us. Every kid we were recruiting. Uh, someday he's going to have a, a future in that uh, when football's all over for him. I, I think he's going to end up being a commentator for ESPN recruiting or, or working for one of these uh, recruiting services because he he was just into it and it did a lot of help. Uh, getting some other kids interested in Nebraska and, and sealed 
uh, as far as committing and signing at Nebraska. And on top of being a good player, he was uh, already helping us by getting some other kids on board. The other one, Coach, that we talked to was Turner Corcoran, the, the offensive lineman from, from Lawrence, Kansas, who I think made it to every home football game we had this fall. We had a terrific conversation with him. Wow, what a well-spoken young man. Yeah, he's a grown-up, um, both physically and emotionally, and, and that's going to give him a, a, a real chance to come in and hit the ground running uh, and maybe even help us you know, sooner rather than later. So uh, we're, we're excited about a lot of guys. Turner is probably the, you know, the cornerstone of this recruiting class since he was uh, ranked so highly and uh, committed so early that we were able to kind of build around him. The highlight of the last three weeks for you had to be the little hunting trip you took up to South Dakota to go see Nash, wasn't it? It was. Uh, I said, and I think before, it was probably my favorite home visit I've ever done. Um, you know, I grew up hunting with Dad, and uh, probably bird hunting is my favorite of of all the the, the ways that you could do that. And uh, obviously, he's uh, he's got family and friends that run a pheasant hunting guiding service, and um, I didn't know if I was going to make it up there before signing day or not, and it worked out that we made it up there on a weekend, and uh, we showed up on his farm and met a, met a lot of his friends and family and uh, went out and had some, some fun getting after some uh, roosters. So uh, it, it was a great, great day. Uh, you know, a couple of us felt right at home doing that. Doing that. Uh, a couple others didn't. <laughs> but um, when you're a kid from Nebraska or a kid from Iowa like Coach Shins is, that's kind of second nature. Did you bag your limit? Yeah, you know what? It was almost too easy, uh, to be honest with you. I'm used to in, in Nebraska when there's birds around having to go out and walk half a day to hope you see some and maybe get your limit. And up there we walked about a quarter-mile stretch of uncut milo and about 15 roosters got out of it. And we we got 12 and we were done. And it took probably 30 minutes, So, uh, which was perfect because that's about all the time we had. Uh, it, it was just a fun day. Well, I know going into this thing, you, you really wanted to, to help the wide receiver room, and we talked about that. And the other one's the linebacker spot. Let's let's get into that group. Your, your thoughts about the young men that you've added to the, the both the inside and the outside linebacker rooms? Yeah, we're really happy with that, too. I, didn't, I, I probably should mention we've been laughing uh, on all these trips we've been taking all around the country about, uh, you know, how we're going to talk about these, these players. Um, you know, I, I – I've said this a couple times, but I, I can understand now why when Coach Osborne was always asked about players, the best you could get out of him was, oh, he's gonna he's got a chance to be a pretty good player. Uh, <laughs> which is, I thought about just doing that the entire time because I, I know the frenzy around Nebraska and the the passion of our fan base. It, you know, the minute you talk about somebody, all of a sudden they're going to be the next Tommy Fraser or I am hip. Uh, so you know, I want these kids to come in and be able to develop at their own pace and, um, you know, be their own player and, and not have all that pressure put on them. Uh, you know, that being said, the, these linebackers that we got, uh, we feel like that was another area where we needed to add more talent, more depth. And um, we kind of started off with Blaze Gunnarsson, who's, you know, for a outside linebacker, pass rusher, setting edges and coming off the edge was exactly what we wanted. And he was just across the border in Iowa. Um Great big kid with uh, great character, awesome family, um, and just exactly what the doctor ordered for us at that position. And 
Um, kind of like Turner, we were able to build around him a little bit. Uh, staying at outside linebacker, uh, um, Jamari Butler was a kid that we've had our eye on for a long time, was committed to another school for a while, uh, but has has a lot of ability to to come off the edge and generate pass rush. I think he's just kind of scratching the surface of what he can become, has a, you know, a, a bunch of the tangibles that you're looking for to have the talent to do that. And we also thought we could use maybe a little bit of immediate help at, at that position. Uh, Nico Cooper's a kid that I think could, could play a bunch of different spots for us because of his size and athletic ability. And I think he'll be able to generate pass rush for us too. And, you know, he, he's already a little older than the high school kids. So, you know, physically he's going to come in ready to go. Um, inside backer, uh, you know, I'm going to butcher his name, but we call him Ativa or Va. Uh, Va uh, works. Diablo Valley. <laughs> yeah, Va. He's just a great kid and a run and hit guy. And um, he's going to help us in a lot of ways that come in and, and really solidify the middle backer position. And then, you know, we just – kind of pulled off a miracle i think the coaching change at another school probably helped us in in the transition there of at least getting our foot in the door with Keyshawn green and like a lot of kids uh when we get them up to lincoln and they see the fans the unbelievable fans we have and see the facilities and the passion for it around the state and and the type of people that are here uh we got a great chance and we were able to get Keyshawn on campus and he fell in love with it and um he he's really a a kind of a freak athlete that we think we're going to be able to utilize in a lot of ways. You mentioned big kids. Seven of these twenty-three are at least six foot five. Is that is that on purpose? Are you looking for guys with more length now that you're moving into this in year three? Absolutely. Uh, I don't think our team was probably big enough when we got to Lincoln as a coaching staff, um, and we kind of knew we weren't as big as we wanted to be, but after two years in the league and, and seeing what we're playing against every Saturday, um, you know, I, I, it's not going to be very long. We keep recruiting these guys that we're going to go out on the field and, and not be smaller, particularly up front than some of the teams we're playing. Uh, you know, there's one team in our league that averages, I think six, six, three thirty on the offensive line. And, um, really good players that aren't as big can, can manage that. But, it just helps to be bigger and uh, definitely at at the offensive and defensive line spot and actually a couple other spots, even receiver, we felt like we needed to, to get more size and length. And um, you can't just get the size and length. You have to get good players with that size and length. And uh, I think we were able to do that. I wanted to ask you about Logan Smothers, the quarterback that's in this class. I think the story goes that he's in this playoff game and he gets like a collapsed lung and a punk, a broken rib or a cracked rib and then played the next week. Is that right? Did he do that? That's right. Um, Logan's a kid we identified early, uh, has a great stroke, which is the first thing we look for. And then, you know, I think he ran a 10, 700 meter as a junior, so he can really run too. Uh, he's a coach's kid, so he understands the game. Uh, and their team down there, Muscle Souls, had a, a great chance to, to compete for our state championship. And actually, we're ahead in a uh, a playoff game that they lost at the end uh, that he tried to play through broken ribs and uh, collapsed long uh, and played three quarters and then got hit again and just couldn't finish the game. But they were ahead at the time. And, uh, you know, it says a lot about him and his desire to be great that he'd go out and play through that. 
That's Brooke Beringer lore. There's coach. That's 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 kind of stuff. Yeah, see, you're doing exactly what I said. I, know. You know, I don't want him to have to be Brooke Beringer. I just want him to be a really good version of Logan. <laughs> I'm going to ask you about your walk-ons. Uh, 19 were announced yesterday. 16 of those are in-state guys. It looks to me like there are some players that turn down some scholarship offers other places to come and try to be a part of this thing. Is, is Would that be accurate? I think so. And, you know, that's how it always was with Coach Osborne. Um, kids around the state wanted to be a part of Nebraska football. Uh, we got a bunch of good players in this class. I'm excited about each and every one of them there's a lot of size in that group too um and i think we got uh, a few players that are really special in that group that you know every kid that comes in as a walk-on is going to get treated the same as everybody else and, and treated just like they were a scholarship guy and given the same opportunities and and everything that the other freshmen are so uh, we're really excited about this group, and I think every year that goes by with us putting the emphasis on the walk-on program, we're going to have more and more kids contributing, starting, and earning scholarships. He's originally from New York, but now calls the second city his home. He prefers seeing a yellow card over an icing call. His choice in pizza is still up for debate, but his knowledge of sports spans from boxing to yachting. Here's the worldly Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune. Well, every Thursday we get a chance to catch up with you. And, uh, I mean, did you did you cover some of the signing day stuff that took place in college football yesterday? Yeah, Greg, I would less every single year. I mean, I think for a while there it was like, all right, I'm going to focus on the Big Ten. I'm going to get some Northwestern stuff. I line up all my calls. I got Tom Lemming and – you know, maybe I got a guy from uh, Rivals and I'm talking to kids, you know, before so I can, you know, so given that they're probably hopefully in school on signing day, I can still quote them. I don't, you know, need to wait till three o'clock. And then this year it just popped up kind of quickly. And I was like, man, I got nothing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's kind of like the season just ended. And I was, you know, writing about Northwestern's new offensive coordinator and just crept up. So um ended up writing really just a little bit about Northwestern and, Kind of an interesting mix. On the one hand, the school is saying it's it's uh, the best recruiting class in school history. On the other hand, it was a bummer in the morning because uh, uh, their only receiver in the class, the guy with the last name Yassine, flipped to Purdue in the morning. And they were really hoping to get this quarterback named Michael Wright, who was originally a UCF commit, and they couldn't get him. He ended up going to Vanderbilt. So... All of a sudden, they have no quarterback and they have no receiver, so we're on with Pat Fitzgerald, and he's talking about what a great class this is, and we're asking him, hey, you know, all these negative questions, and he's a little bit fed up half-jokingly. So it was a it was a weird day. They feel like they have an amazing class, but you know, a little bad news at the end uh, overshadowed it. Do you think, and, and what, what does Fitz think about the early signing date? This, I think, was year three for that. I, yeah. I'm a fan. I think if these kids already kind of know it, let them get it out of the way, and they can enjoy their holiday season and start being kids again. It's funny. I think it's one of those everybody has a different perspective. So what Fitz advocates is no specific signing day. I mean, I guess there would certainly have to be a deadline. But he wants it to be where if it's, you know, May 15th and a kid – wants to commit to a school, you would have a, um, almost not like a portal, but you'd have like a database 
and it would say, okay, on, on May 15th, Northwestern offered this kid. Then there would have to be like a 48-hour cooling off period. And then if that kid wants to accept the offer and sign, he can sign. So that really would remove a lot of the drama. It would certainly remove a lot of the, you know, decommitting, recommitting, soft commitment. You know, you're either committed, you've either signed or you've not signed. So that's that's what he advocates. Um, now, the industry would hate that. You know, all the rivals and scout and ESPN.com and 24-7 sports, you know, they want there to be drama. They want there to be one to two signing days where everybody's clicking on the stories and watching TV and stuff. But I think Fitz's idea, um, you know, is pretty logical where, where it's really in the hands of the players. Now, the way they have it now is interesting for coaches. I think coaches are getting kind of hosed. You know, so it used to be the season would end and they'd be in bowl prep mode and maybe they'd even be able to, like, spend 48 hours with their families. Now, because of this December 18th date, the minute the season ends, they are grinding away to, to secure all these uh, commitments. Um, so they have no break. And then I was asking somebody, I said, well, do they get a break after December 18th? And somebody said, no, they really don't because now they're working on the juniors. They're yeah. going hard to the juniors. So I think in some ways it's bad for coaches. I think it's better for players. I think there are fewer decommitments. And I guess that's what it's all about. Give the players more options. If they want to get it out of the way now, they can enjoy their Christmas. If they want to wait till the February date and shop around, they have the option to do that. Right. Speaking of coaches, uh, Iowa lost one of their legendary ones this week in Hayden yeah. Fry. Man, what a what a stamp he put on on that program, didn't he? It's so true. You know, Greg, I arrived at Northwestern in the fall of 1990, and uh, Iowa was was a dominant team. Like for me, I've I've never been aware of Iowa football not being great. <laughs> you know, like I didn't follow Big Ten football growing up in New York City. In you know before Hayden Fry got there. So when I found out later that, you know, Hayden's the one who turned it around, I mean, it was like, wow, because I just kind of always figured they were this wonderful team. But I love so much about him. I mean, obviously, everybody's talked about, you know, him being a psychology major in the pink bathrooms and, um, you know, just the work he would do to get his players ready and to get in the heads of opposing coaches. Uh, Chuck Long was telling a story the other day that even when Chuck was just like on the scout team, he would have a good practice and Hayden would uh, send a handwritten note to his parents, you know. So he just a really seemingly thoughtful man. I remember being on those Big Ten conference calls in the early 90s, and he, you know, he's just so nice and folksy and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the famous line that I'll always think of with him is this. Gary Barnett becomes Northwestern's uh, head coach. I think it's at uh, 1992, 92, or 93. And he looks on the schedule, and he says, you know what, Northwestern doesn't even have a rival at this point, so I want to pick one. And he picks Iowa because Iowa has been slaughtering Northwestern year after year. You know, the average score is about 56 to 7. And Gary Barnett says, when we're finally as good as Iowa, then we will have made something. So they play a game, and Iowa just destroys them. And Hayden comes across the field to shake Barnett's hand after the game. And Hayden says, I hope we didn't hurt any of your boys. And maybe he meant it genuinely, but Barnett takes it as a total insult makes it basically one of the most important quotes of his entire program. And then Northwestern ends up, you know, starting to beat Iowa. And I think it's a, you know, it's a real, it's a legit 50, 50 rivalry since the mid nineties. So when I think of Hayden, I think of uh, that quote and, uh, you know, starting an incredible legacy 
at Iowa. Yeah, no doubt. And boy, the coaching tree that comes off of that is amazing. Pretty amazing stuff. <clears throat> um, well, we're the, you did a, a sit down piece with the outgoing commissioner of the Big Ten Conference. Thirty years. What was that like? Give us some highlights. Yeah, so I spent 80 minutes with the commissioner, which means I was able to ask about four questions <laughs> because he is truly one of the most long-winded people I've ever met in my life, mostly in a good way. Occasionally, I'm like, all right, can we move on to something else as he's getting into the intricacies of you know, how he started instant replay and stuff. But, um, you know, I led the story this moment where I'm in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil and Jim and his wife Kitty are – walking through the tunnel, and this Ohio State fan screams at him, best commissioner ever. So I joke, Jim, oh, you pay the guy well, blah, blah, blah. And it's interesting, Jim ends up saying about that moment, he goes, you know, I don't think commissioners are supposed to be popular per se. And I think he personifies that. So he certainly had a lot of popularity among university presidents and chancellors because the Big Ten is the richest conference in college sports. The revenue was $100 million more than the SEC last year. So I think that'll tell you something. But he's done a lot of things that make him unpopular. Yeah, everything from legends and leaders to moving the basketball tournament to MSG in Washington, D.C. Um, I think most people feel like Maryland and Rutgers are total flops. Then, you, But then you have, again, the flip side. You have BTN where, I mean, think about if you're the you know parents of a Penn State soccer player and now you can watch all your kids play. So there's just so much that he's done, good and bad. Big Ten ACC Challenge, Gavit Games. I mean, I don't even know if most uh, folks listening or, or, or you know read, who read my stuff know that Notre Dame is in the Big Ten for men's hockey, or Johns Hopkins is in for men's lacrosse. I mean, there are all these unusual, somewhat, you know, really bold moves that he's done. So we talked a bunch. We talked about his successor, Kevin Warren, who's coming in January 2nd. He's going to be very, you know, I think very, very prepared. They've had this period where they're both, um, you know, sort of functioning as commissioners. Uh, Jim said he wants to get back to the Big Apple one day. He hopes uh, the league can get back to Madison Square Garden. I asked about regrets. Um, I asked about creation of the Big Ten Network. So I think there was some good stuff in here. Yeah, well, everybody should go check it out. It's a good read. He he uh, is not – he thinks in 25 or 50 years, Rutgers and Maryland's going to look like a good deal, I guess. <laughs> He's got to say that because uh, so far it's been a complete flop. I think the part that – he did not anticipate was, you know, he thinks, oh, these are good recruiting areas. This is going to help Rutgers in Maryland because you've got these players from New Jersey and the DMV who are going to say, great, man, we get to play Ohio State and Michigan. He didn't know that Ohio State and, and Michigan were going to go into New Jersey and the DMV and take all the best players and just completely obliterate those teams, and they were going to be non-competitive games. So, Look, I mean, if Rutgers is going to do anything, it's going to be in the next five years under Greg Schiano, or else they may as well just give up because he's the only guy who's had real success there. And uh, and so now they might actually have a shot to, what, be 500. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got bowl games starting on Saturday. You got, are you in a bowl yeah. pool? You got, you got your picks made? I, I am absolutely in a bowl pool. Um, I'm in a confidence pool, which I think is the best way to do it. I mean, against the spread is also always fun. You don't want to knock that. But the confidence pool thing is fun because, you know, you want to pick three or four upsets, and then you want to have three or four games where, you know, maybe it's one team that most people think is obviously going to win. You can, you can put one point on them, so you're kind of hoping for an upset. It's just a great time of year with so much football on TV. And then, you know, we'll wait out uh, when the Big Ten games start on December 27th. Pretty sweet lineup. I mean, I think there are a lot of attractive games in here. Um, 
fortunately, the Tribune will be sending me out to Arizona for uh, Ohio State-Clemson, which, my God, hopefully is uh, the greatest playoff game we've ever seen. If it, if it lives up to half its billing, it will be. Week from Saturday. Isn't that crazy? Is that quick? God, that is. That is just ridiculous, I know. Did you catch any golf last weekend? Were you able to watch some of the President's Cup? I, I was. We had a holiday party Saturday night, so it was one of those tough ones where <laughs> I'm out, you know, there's no TV on, I'm DVRing, but I want updates. And, uh, you know, I mostly found out, came back and watched, and, and that was some good drama. Um, of course, started earlier early in the week by Patrick Reed blatantly cheating. I was talking to a, a guy who plays on the Corn Ferry Tour yesterday, and I said, is there any chance that what he did in that fairway bunker was happenstance. He said, zero. The guy is a cheater. I mean, to me, he's the New England Patriots of golf. Uh, cheater's going to cheat. And that's what Patrick Reed did. It, it ends up being good for the President's Cup because it put so much attention on the event early on. Reed obviously played poorly early, won, won his singles match. He's you know, certainly a compelling guy, if, uh, you know, certainly somebody to boo. And uh, Tiger knocking in that winning putt and basically removing his hat before it's halfway down the cup, that's probably the number one memory. So I thought uh, it was a great event, and uh, it's getting me excited for the Ryder Cup, man. Do, do you, uh, Greg, do you know where the Ryder Cup yeah, is next year? right up the road from you in Wisconsin. You, I think you got to take a, a week off from football. I, you and Ben I think you claim to be right. sick and get up there, man. That's going to be fun. Were you surprised, Teddy, about how much emotion Tiger had at the end of that? No, definitely not. Because, you know, he's the Ryder Cups have gone so poorly. Of course, there's only so much responsibility he, you know, he, he can take or he bears for that. I mean, I covered the one at Medina, and Steve Stricker was just ice cold when he played with Tiger. And, you know, Tiger gets saddled with a bad record. So people think, you know, somewhat fairly that he does poorly in team competition. So he really wanted to perform well. He wanted to win his matches. He wanted to uh, be the winning captain because it is a bit of a no-win situation when you're the U.S. captain of a President's Cup team. You know, if you lose, you are completely humiliated because on paper the U.S. is so much better. Yeah, well, it was it was fun. I, I was locked in for a couple of days watching that, and I didn't think they had a chance after they fell down 4-1 in the opening session, but it, it was fun. Hey, also, you, uh, you viewed the first road team to win a game in the league last night in hoops, right? Uh, oh, that's right with the whole one and zero thing. Yeah, that whole oddity. Yeah, very true. So uh, Michigan State came into Northwestern. It looked like it was going to be a real beatdown. I mean, I remember telling the Michigan State PR guy, "I'm like, you guys aren't even playing well. You're up by ten. You're going to win by twenty. Northwestern played well in the second yeah. half. I think scored forty seven points. Uh, it, it was it was a show. They had this freshman point guard, kind of lead guard, named uh, Boo Booey. Memorable name, and he was just on fire. He had 21 in the second half, and Northwestern cuts it to four inside a minute, and it ended up being quite entertaining. So, look, Northwestern's probably like Nebraska this year, not going to win a lot of games in the league, but both teams have some talent, and it's just going to be interesting to see if both schools can keep their good players, develop them, and uh, you know work their way to the middle of the league uh, next year and beyond. Yeah, we get to the first year beyond the Big Ten hoops. Well, travel safe. We'll talk to you next week, I guess, from from Glendale or down in the Phoenix here. Will you be down there by Thursday? I am, and I fly Christmas Day. So 26th is a big day out there. Both teams have their media days. So I'll be uh, more than happy to join you in the afternoon to, to give you guys a little preview. Fantastic. We'll look forward to it. Have a great weekend. We'll talk next week.
Merry Christmas. Thanks, Greg. Talk to you. All right, tonight we continue our top 10 countdowns of games during 2019 for the Huskers. Tonight, number seven. The Sports Nightly Top 10 Moments of the Year. Left side for the match. Matty Kubik. She got him! They did it! Nebraska beats Penn State. It's fine. Measuring it, waiting for it. He gloves it, and the Huskers have beaten number three, Texas Tech, here in Frisco, Texas tonight. Nine, eight. Sam Hybe goes the layup. Good! Sam Hybe gives Nebraska a four point Holy lead. Cow, the magnificent seven comes through in Chicago. Number seven. Lagrin goes to knee, that's going to end it. Nebraska has become the fifth program in the history of college football to win 900 all-time games. And with a win tonight, they snap that nasty eight-game road-losing streak. And they win a dogfight tonight over Illinois, a final of 42-38. And the Illinois football win back in September is our number seven game, 42-38, Ben McLaughlin. When I think about this game, I think about Nebraska turned the ball over four times. They had ten penalties. They trailed three different times by two touchdowns. And yet, when the clocks finally hit zero, it was a Nebraska win. Reggie Corbin popped the second play from scrimmage for a touchdown, and I thought, "Uh uh-oh, well, this isn't going to go well. And I'm with you. Um, You know, it just felt like... The thing I remember from that game, Nebraska was always down two scores. And every time they were down two scores, they'd go score. And then they'd maybe stop them and get a chance to go tie it, and they wouldn't. Then they'd go back down two scores. And they just couldn't quite get over that hump of of getting that thing tied. And once they did, you felt like that game was going to go Nebraska's way. The other thing I remember is Nebraska was dominating them offensively. I mean – it, it wasn't Warren Sapp in the national championship, but it was close. I mean, those dudes wanted nothing to do with Nebraska's offense by the end of the game. They they could have done anything they wanted, and, and they did, except for score that last touchdown to put the game on ice. Uh, they got the goal line stand there to, to give themselves a chance. But um, the other thing that I remember most from that game is it was really the first time Nebraska's defense went and won Nebraska a game at the end of it, and they didn't allow the – the big play they didn't have the the dumb 15 yard penalty to get illinois to midfield i believe it was a four and out that ended the game did uh to finish that thing off but it was ben, a good feeling ben the huskers had 674 yards of offense so nearly 700 yards they held illinois to 299 and yet it's a four-point win because of the four turnovers and you just kept like god if nebraska quits turning the ball over they're running away with this game and they, i believe three of them were inside the 40 yard line they were putting the defense in horrible and spots wasn't one of them inside the five it was you're right adrian maybe had his best game of the year 445 yards of total offense from adrian he threw for 328 he ran for 118 he was pretty darn good in that game Yeah, he was unstoppable and you know the throws that he was making and more more impressively it was the uh the, the his ability to run the football he was running physical and uh he looked like the adrian we, we all thought that was going to be the turning point for him uh, and old adrian would come back after that jd spielman with a big game seven catches 160 yards for jd so he had a big game uh wandale had a pretty big game scored he, his first touchdown he did 79 yards receiving he had 89 on the ground so he he had about 160 plus total offense in that game 
And, and at that point in time, Maurice Washington was still playing for Nebraska and playing pretty well. And you, you looked at this offense, you're like, man, there's weapons all over the place because Nebraska had just dusted Northern Illinois the week before. Then they put up 42 points and nearly 700 yards against Illinois. And you're like, here we go with this offense. Yeah, and I remember the days following that game because we, we were all kind of wondering, man, could barely beat Illinois on the road. This was before Illinois was – was any good at all and and then they go on that run and they was it thing right and and you're like man this seems not terrible and, and that win started to look better and better as the year went on but um you know overall i think uh very pleased with the win and that was a fun locker room to be in afterwards saturday night game if i remember right the, it was a pretty nice night weather wise yep. right like yep. in the 60s maybe for that game yep. i think you were still in the shorts at that point in could time have been. The season yeah could have been um, so, yeah, Nebraska. And, and it was the first road win for Scott Frost. And I just remember, and I just looked it up on the on the box score, the game was three hours and 40 minutes. Mm. I was exhausted after that game. It just had so much in it. Yeah, and it just – I remember that game taking forever as well. Uh, there was a lot of reviews late. Uh, that weird fumble play that Adrian had. Uh, was his arm going forward? Was it not going right. forward? Um, you know, there was some – Big reviewed calls, and I feel like all of them went against us. But, you know, in the end, it didn't matter. Defense came up and, and made some big plays in the end when they needed to. You're right. The arm coming forward, that was a turnover inside Nebraska's 20. That might have been around the 15-yard line that that happened for Nebraska. They had a fumble on a mesh. Adrian, it might have been Diedrich Mills, and the ball got fumbled right there. That was at about the 35-yard line. So Nebraska made it much harder on themselves than it needed to be. Because of the way they dominated the game, if you don't lay it on the deck four times, you probably win that game by three touchdowns. But a fun night in Champaign, a place you, you kind of like going and watching football games. Yeah, it's a great place for a sideline reporter. There's tons of room. Believe it or not, there's not a lot of Illinois alumni on the, st- on the sidelines taking up your space. So uh, they're, they're not overly uh, strict on, on, the, on the rules as some <laughs> other places. But, yeah, I mean, I was, I was very pleased. One other thing that I remember about this game, we talked about this point I'm about to make a ton throughout the year. I'm going, why are these guys so physical? Why are they hitting us so Holy hard? Cow. I mean, there was like they kept running that Lovey Smith cover two, and Adrian was just kept lofting those balls over those linebackers between the safeties, and J.D. and Wandale were just taking poundings that night over the middle. And I'm thinking this is not the same Illinois team that I'm used to seeing. They were – they were hitting us and hitting us hard. Um, that was one thing that I remember about that game as well. They're headed to a bowl game on the Illini. They're going to the Red Box Bowl in Santa Clara. They'll be playing Cal here in about 10 days. But uh, So, Oscar football, their win over Illinois, our moment number seven of 2019. We'll continue our countdown tomorrow night. Thanks to Ben, to Brett, to Mick, and all of you. Nate will join me tomorrow night as we wrap up the week here on Sports Nightly. Have a great night. Good night.